superstar, but whether they are or not, you're gonna show up to their sporting events. You don't show up because they perform well, you show up because you have a love relationship with them. I believe that one of the greatest failures of, of the early Western church in the, in the early Western church history is that for so long, people tried to get, get God to be present with man rather than man to be present with God. I've said it before and I'll say it again that, that he's as close as our turned attention. His presence is a promise. We're not the ones doing the summoning, but actually he is. Revelation 3.20 says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with this person and they with me. He says, I stand at the door and knock. So the job of a worship leader is to say, hold on a moment. What is that? Do you hear that? Is that knocking? To inspire the bride, not just on Sundays, but every day to go to the door and to open it up and say, we want to usher you in to our lives. Through our turned attention, through our praise, our agreement of who he is, we fling that door wide open and we usher in the presence of God by turning our attention to the King of Kings. And in these moments when he comes in and he communes with us, he dines with us, some, sometimes here on Sunday, it just feels like the King is, you know, we're like, he's in the room. We, we, he's, he's, he's communing with us. He's dining with us. He's setting this table before us. So what's the job of a worship leader in this context? Well, Bob Sorge in his book, uh, it's not business, it's personal. It's the title of his book. He gives this analogy and I'm paraphrasing it. But if you think about a couple and they're having their anniversary dinner at this beautiful restaurant and in the background is this musician and he's playing this music and he's meant to be there to provide um, an atmosphere of romance. But if he gets a little bit too close and he starts you know, drawing away the bride, the woman's attention from the man, then he's defeating the purpose of what he's meant to do because she's becoming infatuated with him instead of being connected to the groom, Jesus, the bride and bridegroom, right in front of him. David Helser, Jonathan David Helser puts it this way. He says that worship leaders are meant to be like a tour guide. If you go on a tour guide of the Grand Canyon, you shouldn't be leaving that tour being like, man, that tour guide, let me tell you about him. He knew a lot of stuff, a lot of information. He communicated really, really well. And he was so gifted, so talented. No, you should be saying, oh my gosh, I learned so much about the Grand Canyon. I and blown away. I'm filled with wonder for the Grand Canyon. The worship leader's job is to evoke wonder and point to the Lord. And I'll be honest in a transparent moment. It's, it's, not, it's not always easy, you know, we're, we're trying to teeter that line, you know, it, like it feels like being a worship leader sometimes feels like this holy paradox because we're, we're trying to grab people's attention and then somehow give it to God and point back to him. It, it does feel that way sometimes. And we, we walk away and we're just kind of like, okay, like, you know, how do we, how do, we do this, Lord? And if, if you've ever done ministry, one thing you know is that, that we gotta be careful when we try to quantify success in ministry because God in the kingdom measures fruit differently than we do in the world. So I believe sometimes it can be a dangerous endeavor for worship leaders to try and quantify their success in the corporate setting. Is it how loud people are singing? How many hands are raised? The energy in the room? How do, how do we define this? But I think if we quantify successful worship ministry by external participation, then we're missing it. Successful worship leading is to recognize that we have the opportunity the priority and the privilege of first ministering to the heart of the Father. If our attempt to inspire external participation begins to combat with our personal ministry to Abba, 
then we're failing as worship leaders because we're meant to lead by example. We're meant to lead people into a place where we've been or where we are currently. We can't be like an unhealthy parent and just say, do as I say, not as I do. No, we wanna say, let's go somewhere together. And that is into a space where we minister to the heart of the Father. The truth is, is we as worship leaders, we show up uh, just, just like you to, to not only worship King Jesus, but to also be led in worship. And that's why I wanna talk about the most important worship leader in the room, you probably guessed it, is Holy Spirit. We will always lead worship very loosely because we're following the true worship leader who is Holy Spirit and we will never outgrow our dependency on Holy Spirit. We're coming in and we're partnering with what the Spirit is already doing. Romans 8 says that the spirit of adoption cries out Abba. It goes on to say that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That makes my job easy. (laughs) I get to come in and partner with a spirit inside each and every single one of us that's in this room that's moving and that's happening. There's there's up like the well, out like the river, this spirit of adoption within us. And we just get to partner with what God is already doing. Now, when we talk about Holy Spirit in a corporate culture, a lot of times you see two different expressions. You, you a lot of times see one culture that really leans towards, towards doing everything neat, plan, orderly. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have uh, the people who don't do that. <laughs> and they, uh, they're what I like to call the, like, we're just gonna show up and follow the Holy Ghost people. You know, they like to like use the word Holy Ghost which is biblical. So like, if you say Holy Ghost, I'm not taking a jab at you, but they, you know, they call them the ghost because it's like, they love to be surprised and they want the end suddenly. He's gonna be like, boo, jump out like a ghost and scare you. That's kind of what, you know, but there's something about it. Anyways, there is this culture that, that, that says, well, we just, we just wanna show up. We're just gonna jump in the river and see where it takes us. And, and I love that. I love jumping in the river, seeing where it takes us. But I also like to just stay in the river all week so that we have a good idea of where the river wants to take us because God wants to speak to us prophetically. Our job, not just my job as a worship leader at a church, but all of our jobs is to steward the other six days out of the week. You can catch the fire in the corporate setting but you're never gonna be able to maintain it if you're living Sunday from Sunday, from Sunday encounter to Sunday encounter. We're meant to sustain the fire throughout the week so that when we do come in in a corporate setting, it is a blazing, burning bonfire for the whole world to see. So when talking about Holy Spirit, you know, we, we have the nine main gifts that we that we, we list and a lot of times like to talk about and teach on. But if you read throughout the epistles, there's a lot of other gifts of the spirit. One of them being the not so glamorous gift of the spirit, which is the gift of administration. And actually Romans 12 talks about this. If you read different translations, it'll say the gift of serving or, or other words. But if you get down to the core of the definition, it is the gift of administration. That, that there are things that maybe God wants to, to reveal to us to help apply and carry out to plan with God. Maybe we use a gift of spirit to plan with God. The word administer has the word minister in it. So how could we miss that one? Ephesians 1.17 says that it's a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not either or, but it is both and. 
And I bring that up to say that I think what this means is that the revelation part of the spirit is when God is revealing something to us, the macro, the big dreams, but then the wisdom piece is how do we apply it? God, how do we administer the things that you're calling us to do that you've revealed to us? A lot of times it starts out with an idea, like a big idea. It's like, I've got this big idea and I wanna do this and I think it's a God-sized dream. And then a lot of times we find ourselves crippled because we really love the spirit of revelation, but we're not like spirit of wisdom. Won't you show me how to administer this? And I believe in this season uh, that applies to not just our corporate culture and worship, but it applies to all of our lives that God isn't just looking for people who will say, God, won't you reveal the dream to me? But to say, God, show me how to administer the dreams that you have. I don't think God needs another big idea I think we have a lot of big ideas that have just been sitting on the shelf for a really long time and God's waiting for people to say, Lord, will you download the spirit of wisdom and administration and tell me how to carry this out? So this is our posture too in corporate culture. We want to administer what he has and be in tune prophetically with what he's saying. But like I said, there's always the other side of the coin, the, the neat, the orderly. And a lot of these people use the terminology excellency. We say, we wanna do everything excellent and we plan it and we plan it down to a T and we know where we're going next and all that. And that's great, but, but the issue with that is that it doesn't really leave Holy Spirit a lot of wiggle room. It, it kind of puts Holy Spirit in a box. We believe that spontaneity is the reward of preparation, but when we prepare, we're doing it with complete permission saying, God, interrupt us if you like. If we ahead of time know always where we're going next and what it's gonna look like and what we're doing, then it would assert that we don't believe that he wants to speak to us right now. If you look at the word word in the Bible, there's two definitions, logos and rhema. And the word rhema definition of word is that word that God is speaking to us, an utterance, a timely word for this moment, for this time, for the season, for right now in this moment to say, what are you saying, Abba? Jesus didn't just say to his disciples, follow me. And here's a list of stuff you gotta do. All right, I'll see you later. No, he says, follow me. He takes them by the hand. He walks with them every single step of the way. This means that obedience is not a decree followed by absence. Obedience is not a decree followed by, by absence, but it's an invitation into an open line of communication with God. Obedience is not unto something, obedience is unto someone. It means that we lean in before, after, and during. See, if Abraham was obedient unto something and not someone, he very well could have killed his son Isaac because the original decree was, was sacrifice Isaac. But then he was able to be interrupted by God where God shifted things along the way because he was obedient unto someone. When we look at Christ's rhythm, we see that he was constantly in step with the father. He says, I don't do anything. I don't see the father doing. I don't say anything. I don't hear the father saying. And oftentimes we see him with intention being led by the spirit to go and minister to a specific people group or place or individual. But then what would happen along the way? He'd, he'd get interrupted. But Jesus did not interpret these moments as moments of interruption, but he saw them as opportunities for heaven to invade because he was in step with the father. Some of us get so dead set on what we want to accomplish, even the things we claim to want to accomplish for God, 
that we misinterpret interruptions in our lives and we don't see them as opportunities for heaven to invade. We, we, something gets derailed and we look in the natural and then we're like, this is just a problem. But sometimes maybe we should stop and say, what's the rhema word about what's occurring? Because this could be an opportunity for you to move God. Now, I wish when I came in here on Sunday that I had it all figured out. I wish that I could, you know, have the Moses moment. He goes up to the mountain, comes down. He's like, here's the plan, guys. I wish that I came running down Kennesaw Mountain every Sunday morning with my face glowing. I showed up to the team, big old white beard, and I was like, thus saith the Lord, this is the plan, guys. But that is not how it works because that wouldn't require trust. And if I've learned anything, it's that I make a bad Holy Spirit. You make a bad Holy Spirit. Now we do get to partner with Holy Spirit. We get to co-labor with Holy Spirit, but we should never assume that we know exactly what he's gonna do, how he's gonna do it, how he wants to move. We can't play God. We have to create space for him to do what he does. If worship leading has taught me anything, it's that I make a bad Holy Spirit. Worship leading will teach you this. Marriage will teach you this. My wife's like, amen, I know that's right. She's sitting right there. Um, <laughs> but Eugene Peterson, in, in, in long obedience in the same direction, he was referring to Hilary of Torres, who was an early church father. And, and he had a saying, Hilary of Torres, it goes like this in Latin. It's a religioso solicitudo pro Dio. And in English, that means a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. A blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. Again, we don't ever want to think we have it all figured out. And sometimes being a leader in, in the church who's, who's leaning on God, what that means is on display is sometimes we, we don't know where it's going next. I think this morning was an example of that. Just behind the curtain for you guys to know, we had another song that we had planned in the set today, but something shifted, something happened and we had to say, God, you're going this way. And we adjusted because we wanted him to move. That's our goal. We believe that our dependency on God is on display. Like you guys may be like, well, where are we going next? And we're like, hey bud, where are we going next? Sometimes we don't always know, but what we hope is simultaneously on display is not just our lack of knowledge of what might happen next, but it is our dependency on Holy Spirit. Corporately, we depend on him because Holy Spirit can go home with you. Your people and leaders at your church, they can't always be there with you 24 seven, but Holy Spirit can. It's that saying, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for, for a day. But if you teach him to fish, he will eat for the rest of his life. And that is our desire. So quickly, when, when talking about Holy Spirit and corporate culture, it's almost like we say the word Holy Spirit and all of a sudden we think about this crazy, wild, charismatic show that begins to happen. And, and sometimes that is the case for sure. But I'll, I do wanna talk to us just a little bit about some of uh, maybe the roadblocks, the blind spots that we have in what we call charismania. Um, just some things for us to be aware of. The first is that we should never believe that because it's charismatic, we think that it's exempt from being religious. So a lot of times I hear charismatics talk about other liturgical expressions of praise and worship. And they say, in those, you know, those churches over there, they're religious because they are not running up and down the aisles and 
you know, shouting, hooting, hollering. But sometimes a religious spirit is believing that it has to be wild for God to encounter us. Chris Valentin says that what you know can get in the way of what you need to know. And I know that when we study the revivals of the past, a lot of times it seems to be a common factor that it's packaged in a wild, crazy, charismatic way. And if God desires to move like that in 2021, then so be it. Then we say, amen, Lord, move how you desire to move. But we also say, God, this is what we know. We don't want this to get in the way of what we need to know. So what is it that we need to know? What does revival culture look like today? Not just in our corporate setting here, but beyond the four walls of the church. We are called to never, never, never trade intimacy for intensity. Intimacy and intensity are not the same thing. They can happen at the same time, but they are not exclusive. Actually, Tom taught in this last week, 1 Kings 19, the story of Elijah and Elijah's having this woe is me moment. But what comes after that is God shows up after this, this occurrence and, 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 and there's this massive earthquake and then there's this rushing wind and then there's this fire. And, and Elijah says, well, you know, I didn't, God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. But how did he come? He came as a still small voice, as a whisper to be still and know that he's God. Sometimes in the stillness, there is a type of knowing that we're meant to, call in, meant to be called into when it comes to encounter. Another religious spirit is to believe the idea that if we would have just worshiped longer, if we would have just worshiped longer and harder, then he for sure would have encountered us. Again, this asserts that there is a formula for encounter or that we can perform well enough for him to show up how we think he should show up. What I'm not saying is that sometimes we do go longer. Sometimes we are holding it loosely and we say, God, do what you gotta do. We, we, want, we want you to move and we wanna lean into that. But I'm also afraid that sometimes this idea, oh, if we would have just worshiped longer, what it asserts is that encounter stops with the music. What it asserts is that when the music stops, encounter stops. But what kind of a revival would we see if we believe that God could encounter us into the announcements, into the, to the, to the offering, into the teaching and so on and so forth? It's all a liturgical expression of praise to give glory to God and meant to be a space where we encounter him. Because God is not limited by time. And this is something a lot of times Charismatic people say because they wanna go longer or they just wanna show up late to everything. Why are charismatic people late to everything? So, <laughs> and in a loving way, I'm gonna take this opportunity to say, hey guys, I love worship and something I think we can do better as, as a church is be on time to worship. When we go somewhere with the Lord, we all wanna get on the ship when it's leaving there's something about being unified from the beginning to the end of this corporate experience of worship. And I just do wanna, in a loving way, take this time to say, this is something I see in our culture that God is saying there's a higher standard for us. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I just wanna say like, I want us to all be a part of what the Lord is doing for none of us to miss out on it. So side note. But God isn't limited, our staff is over there saying amen. 
<laughs> um, so God doesn't want us to think that he's limited by time. It doesn't mean we always go late or long, but sometimes what it should mean is that we're not afraid of ending on time as well because God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. When we come in here on Sunday, we don't always have to redig the well. It is a flowing, bottomless, rushing river. There's a religious poverty spirit that says we have to redig this well, but we don't have to. As soon as we walk in, we can tap into exactly what God wants to do in that moment. We fix our attention on him and there the encounter begins. A religious spirit says that, that we've missed something in the corporate setting as well. Um, maybe you, you leave and you feel like you didn't really get what you needed that day. But I don't want us to create an unhealthy dependency on the corporate experience. I want you to know that God wants to encounter you again in the living room with your family while you're alone in your car. Holy Spirit can go with you. This corporate experience, this liturgical expression can't, you know, now we feel like it can because we have we have all these services that we can watch, put them in our pocket. But God wants to do something in the stillness, in the mundane of your life, and he wants to encounter you. Now, the other side of the coin, guys, is that sometimes it is wild. It is messy. It is oh so charismatic. It is so uncomfortable. Even as a charismatic worship leader, sometimes I'm up here and stuff happens even in this room. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm like, that makes me uncomfortable. But... But that's why Holy Spirit's called the comforter because we're meant to leave our comfort zone so that, so that we begin to learn to trust and lean on him. And when it's crazy and charismatic, a lot of people will say, well, you know, that's not what we call seeker friendly. We use this term seeker friendly. And don't get me wrong, in, as, as a worship leader in church and corporate culture, we want to be hospitable. We want people to belong. We want to be uh, in a place where we're explaining things, what's happening, what's taking place on Sundays. And we want to invite people into that. But if you look at Pentecost, when I see Pentecost and what took place in Acts 2, that's not what we call seeker-friendly. It actually says a lot of people were offended that day. But also... When the spirit moved, it says that 3,000 people came to know God. And the hospitable peace was after this, after people are drunk in the spirit, people are speaking in tongues, it's, it's, it's crazy. What, is, what does Peter do? He actually is hospitable and he explains what's happening. Part of what we're, I'm, even I'm doing right now, he, he taught and he said, this is what the scripture says is going on, what's happening. This encounter, we're gonna be hospitable, invite you into understanding this. I believe that for too long, the Western church has spent time, energy, and resources trying to mirror culture for the sake of relevancy, trying to mirror the culture of the world for the sake of relevancy. For too long, we focused on building bridges that maybe we've neglected the city. So we're meant to be called a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In Matthew, Jesus says, we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. If, if you think about camouflage when you go hunting, you wear this camouflage because you're meant to blend into your surroundings. You're meant to be hidden. You're meant to be relevant to your surroundings but we're not meant to be the camouflage church or the hidden church. We're meant to be a church shining bright as a light, a city on a hill. And sometimes that is countercultural. This isn't just a message necessarily of separation, but of sanctific 
sanctification because you see when Jesus flipped the tables in the temple and drove out the people who were turning into a marketplace, I believe one of the reasons he did this is because what was meant to be wholly sanctified in a different culture was beginning to look too much like the world. If we work so hard to look like the world, then they won't want what we have to offer because our lives look just like theirs. There was something about Jesus that was so countercultural, so other than. He was so different, something the world had never seen before. But yet he attracted what at that time was considered the filth of the earth, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the, the sinner of all sinners. There was this magnetic attraction. But I don't believe what attracted people to Jesus was his cultural relevancy but I believe it was the power of the spirit of God on his life. People saw this, saw the way he walked, the the things he did, the way he taught, the way he loved, the way he served, and they couldn't wrap their mind around it. They couldn't understand every facet of it, but they were filled with wonder because of him. They were attracted to something that he carried that was supernatural, that was superior to the world that they saw around them. And I just wanna go ahead as we kind of come to a conclusion today. I know I've gone a little bit long. I wanna invite the ministry teams to just come on up and, and the worship team to, to join me up here. And I wanna conclude the service by sharing this story with you. So uh, about five or six years ago, we were hosting, a, Riverstone was hosting the North or the Southeastern Conference for Foursquare Church. It's this big church um, in, in, in the globe right now. And we were hosting the Southeastern Conference here. I was the only person on staff at the time helping put on this, con- put on this, uh, this conference, sorry. And, and there was a packed room in here. There was, there was worship and a teaching going on in the middle of the end of, the end of worship. A man comes in the room and he starts kind of creating a scene and he starts raising his voice and he's saying, I need to speak to the pastor, to the pastor. And so a couple of pastors, they came up. They're like, we're all pastors. And he said, no, no, no. I want to speak to the pastor of this church. I want to speak to the pastor of this church. And so I'm like, you know, I'm seeing this. People are turning around. The security team's coming up because he's acting really aggressive. And I just have that blackout moment, blackout moment with Holy Spirit and like beeline over there. I'm like, here goes the shoes of peace. They're just taking me on over. And I, I find myself in front of this guy and I'm like, hey man, um, I'm the only person on staff here right now. I'm not a pastor. I wasn't a pastor at the time. And I said, but let's talk, what's going on? And eventually it kind of deescalated and I was able to get him to go out the front portico entrance with me. And come to find out there, pulled up on the curb is his car, almost hitting the glass doors to the front of the entrance of the church. And what I discovered is, let's just say this man's name is John for the sake of discretion. John was a veteran, did many tours in Afghanistan. And that day happened to be Veterans Day. And Veterans Day for John was not a day of celebration. It was a difficult day that was triggering all of this stress in his life. And he was reminded of of the difficulties of war. And so what he did that day is he decided to wake up and drink and drink and drink. And then he said, I just got in my car and I had a lot of dark thoughts and things I thought I was gonna go do. I was gonna go to my baby mama's house, take my kid from her, told me all of these crazy things. But he said, for some reason, he passed this church. He said, he's never been to this church before. He's driven, driven by it before. 
but, but never been here. And he said, for some reason, he just found his way and knew he had to go find a pastor. And doesn't know the Lord isn't, isn't what we would call saved. So he and I begin to have conversations and he's got all these questions and we're talking for hour and it leads on to two hours. We're going back and forth and, and he's saying, there's no way God could love me for all the, the terrible things that I've done in my life. There's no way. There's no way he could forgive me the things that I did in the Middle East. There's no way that, I, that he could forgive me for what I did before and after this. And we talked and it actually got heated. Like I was trying to do the apologetics thing. I was trying to use logic to explain to him that God that God loved him and it escalated after about two hours and he actually stood up. This guy's like three times my size and he gets in my face and he's just, you know, saying, you're crazy, da, 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 da. And, and in that moment, again, I don't know what came over me. I stood up and I said, look, man, you're not here by coincidence. You didn't show up because you wanted to argue with me. I said, I've tried doing the logic thing. I've tried explaining to you. I said, but, but I said, I'm done with that. And I said, I said, I believe that if, if you let me pray for you, God will reveal himself to you. Holy Spirit will reveal himself to you. And I said, you, we either do that or I said, you just gotta go. And so he said, okay. And so I, I stopped, stood up, put my hand on his shoulder and I paused for a moment. And I just said very simply, Holy Spirit, come reveal yourself. And in that moment, his knees buckled and he began to weep. And the Spirit of God showed up. The presence of the Lord began to love on him as he just wept and wept. And I began to pray for him, prophesy over him. And by the end of the night, this man gave his life to Jesus. And the reason I share this story is to say that Sometimes the most seeker friendly thing that we can do is provide people with an undeniable encounter with the spirit of God. You see in the story with the veteran, I couldn't be Holy Spirit. I couldn't do God's job. I tried, I tried the logic thing, but understanding wasn't getting it there. But Holy Spirit had something else in mind. If you want an experience with great music and lights, you know, go to a concert. If you want um, an inspirational uh, teaching where you might learn a, some cool things and go watch a TED talk. But if you want to encounter the living God, then gather with people in a corporate culture who make space and room for Holy Spirit to move. When people come in, we don't want them to encounter Austin or, or Tom. We want them to encounter the living God. And maybe today you have a lot of questions. You will have a lot of stuff that still you don't understand. And I just wanna say, if Jesus was to walk in this room in the flesh, would you just begin to list off all of your questions that you had or would you, would you fall on your face in awe and wonder of who he is? He's inviting us back to wonder today because those questions, they begin to hit the floor when the king walks in the room. If you feel like you're grasping for control over your life, and you just can't seem to get it under control and it feels crazy, then this message today is for you. If, if, if you feel like you're overwhelmed by just the bad news that's going on in your personal life or the world around you, it just seems one bad thing after the next and the next is a bad thing and it just all naturally looks like it's going downhill. Today, this message is for you. If you feel like you become a cynic, a pessimist, then God is inviting us into something 
that's better. He's saying, lift your face off of the idols, off of the things you see in the natural, back to the heavens. It's time for me to touch your imagination and teach you how to use it aright again. So today, if you feel that, if you just want that innocence of to, to come back, the restoration of childlike wonder, if you feel like you need that today, we wanna pray for you. But even beyond that, we, we, we wanna pray for anything. There's nothing that's small in God's eyes. If you have any need whatsoever, we wanna pray for you today. We wanna minister to you. And if today you don't feel like you are abiding in Jesus or you don't know him as your Lord, as your savior, we wanna pray for you today. You can come talk to me. If you feel like, hey, like I've tried to figure it out. I've tried to understand, but it's not working but something's happening inside of me as you're talking about this wonder thing about God revealing himself. And I wanna tell you today that, that just like the story with the veteran, God, the Holy Spirit today wants to reveal himself to you. And I believe he will. So come and receive prayer. So Holy Spirit, we come back to a place of childlike wonder. We know that that invitation is wide open to us in our corporate culture that the original sin when innocence was lost at the Garden of Eden, that Jesus came back and restored innocence, not just part of the way, but 100% and completely. And so Father, we fall back into your arms today, knowing that we can trust you, letting go of the understanding, stepping into the knowing that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name. Let us come and receive prayer.